Good morning. Today's reading is in the first letter of Peter, in the first chapter, and beginning with the third verse. Feel free to follow along in a Bible in the pews, or one you brought yourself, or be blessed by listening. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. Father God, I I am so thankful that by your mercy we are born again through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You've given us You've given us life eternal. You've given us a living hope. And Lord, you've given us an inheritance that is far beyond any value of any worldly thing and will not decrease in value. It is not subject to the, uh, to the whims of this world and is sitting up in heaven for those who love you and Lord, who, uh, who, who rejoice at your appearing. And like those first century believers, let us rejoice in the hope, even though this country and this world is going crazy and we have many trials both outside of our lives and inside of our lives, Lord, that that those who love, that I pray that those who love you will hold fast and and Lord will, um, will look to the hope of your return. Thank you for giving us this opportunity to worship you in music and in the reading and preaching of your word. Thank you for Pastor Steve, who loves us, he loves you, and he loves your word. Put in his heart and mind what you would have him teach us and help us to have ears to hear and to take to heart this message. In your name we pray, amen. Good morning. Good to see you all. I was intrigued that we sang that song, Acts 2.42-47. And, you know, it's really close to 2,000 years since the church started. Well, that'll be interesting. We get about seven or eight years from now. And 2,000 years. But I was thinking how throughout the centuries they've been doing what we sang about. And we are doing the same thing today. We're having teaching and breaking of bread and prayer and fellowship, all four of those things. So 
it's encouraging. We continue on and to live for the Lord. And in some ways, I think of the church as being as a, as a race. And, uh, you know, it's a, it's a marathon. And this is our time. This is our lapse to run, so to speak. And uh, we got the baton, and we're in these end times. So it's encouraging to be together with you all today for this Lord's Day. How can you live for God? How can you please him? How does uh, God tells you how? He tells you who you're to be and what you're to do and how you're to work for him. And, and that is what a godly life should look like. We're taking a number of weeks here, uh, four weeks here at Hope Bible Church, talking about 12 marks of maturity. This is our third set we're looking at. And very important, again, to help us to be the kind of people that God wants us to be. Today we're going to be talking about three important ones, uh, loving others and serving others and then fulfilling our purpose. First, let's talk about loving others. This is, of course, a very big subject in this world. You all know this. People talk about it, though, more on a physical basis, relational, emotional, but not so much on a spiritual basis. And, of course, we would understand that God's Word focuses on it from a spiritual basis, what we often call agape love, a godly love. And this love is essential. It is foundational for our lives, for our relationships, and for the work then that we are to do for the Lord. I want you to turn, and we're going to read a number of verses, but this is, is you know, a lot of good sections on love in the Bible. This is one of the best, maybe my favorite. First John chapter 4, verses 7 to 21. I just want to read a lot of verses. I'm not going to go over them all, but it'll just get our minds in place here as we talk about loving others. 1 John 4, 7. It says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. By this the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. We have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love, and the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this love is perfected with us, so that we may have confidence on the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves punishment, and the one who fears is not perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he's a liar. The one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. This commandment we have from him that the one who loves God should love his brother also. Good, good thoughts. Just a couple things here from these verses and um, many more things can be said. I'm just going to just summarize by a few things. We learn that agape love comes from God and through Jesus Christ. And only those people who are saved, who are born again, then can love. That's very clear. That's what it says. God wants his love to abide in us. This word abide is probably better translated, at least for us, as remain. 
His love is to remain in us. That is not be there for an hour, then gone for an hour, not be there for one day and not the next day. His love needs to abide in us and remain in us. And then we can truly love God and truly love others the way that God wants us to love, love him. And so again, it's only by knowing God's love that we can love others. That is it. There's so much talk in this world about love. This is bottom line. Only true Christians can really love in the way that God wants us to love. John 15, 12, 17, this is my commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you. God commands us to love others because that really is what they need more than anything else. That's what people need. And the thing you have to understand, we talk about all these subjects today, these three different subjects, is you really can have an impact on people's lives. So when you love people the way we're talking about it here and the way we're going to talk about it in a few minutes, you will affect people. You'll have a powerful impact on people as you truly love them the way that God wants you to love them. So always remember that. It's hard to love people. Well, it is sometimes. By the grace of God, you can do it. You can do it. And then realize you have an impact. And people just don't forget that. They don't forget the love that you show them. And so God commands us to love others. And God's love then is to flow from God to us and then to others. That's what we understand from these verses. And the main way, the main way that, that people know that we're Christians is by the love we have for them, this godly love. It says that, you know, people can't see God. Nobody can see God. We can't see God at any time. But they can see us. And as we have godly love living in and through us, then people are then seeing God. And so God then commands us to have love for people, to have a heart for them, to be committed to them, to see that people are ones who are made by God. And all people, all people, saved and lost, are ones who are loved by God. We need to see that. And now loving one another is a general command. We have all these different verses. I could give you so many different references to God says love one another. Love, love, love. It's all over. But 1 Corinthians 13 talks about how we can specifically love one another. Turn to 1 Corinthians 13. We're going to go through this. I was thinking, how do I share in this portion of love, loving others? And I thought, well, there's many passages. 1 Corinthians 13 is one of the better ones. 1 Corinthians 13:1. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy... And know all mysteries and all knowledge. And if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned but do not have love, it profits me nothing. So we see there about this love. This love is more important than anything else. Anything else. And we give some examples here about, you know, you can have a spiritual gift or you can, you know, have all this faith so as to move mountains any number of abilities, but if you don't have love, you're nothing. And oftentimes as people, we can think that. Well, look at me. Look at I can do this. No, you've got to have love. Love is foundational. The last verse of this chapter, you know it. It says, now abide these three, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. Very, very important, this love that we're talking about today. I'm just going to go through these verses very briefly. I mean, very, very briefly uh, here in 1 Corinthians 13. But you get the idea. Love is patient. And literally, it's from a word that means long-suffering. You're suffering long with somebody. You're patient with people. As you well know, people aren't perfect. They sin. They hurt you. They take advantage of you. 
God says you to be patient. You're put to put up with them, not get mad, not retaliate. Love is kind. This means being gracious and friendly and giving to others. You're to give of them your time and your money and your possessions, and it's for both saved and lost, believers and unbelievers. We read in Romans 12, it says, But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. We know that. It says in Matthew, Jesus said, love your enemies. That's really a mark. I mean, loving people that you don't like to be with or people that hurt you, that is one of the toughest things in the world. It takes the grace of God, and God can do it through you. That's what he wants to do. Love is not jealous. This means you don't want what someone else has, whether it's their money, whether it's their possessions, whether it's their success. You don't want it. You don't want people to fail so you can look good. Sometimes we can have that thought, and it's a wrong thought, evil thought. Rather, we should be glad when when people succeed when they're doing well. Love does not brag. You don't try to make yourself look good before others. You're not trying to be a show-off, wanting others to know what you have or what you can do. Love is not arrogant or proud. You don't take credit for what you have or what you can do. You give credit to God, knowing that he is the one that's giving you all that is good anyway. He should get all the credit. Love does not act unbecomingly. You don't act rudely. You don't have poor manners. You're considerate of others. You're, poor. You're kind. You're nice to other people. I remember back in high school a long time ago, you saw this all the time. Kids act unbecomingly during high school and grade school. They just don't act well. You all remember kids like that, right? You see all this all the time. But it happens throughout life. God wants us to be kind and polite and becoming in, in all, all kinds of ways. It says in Ephesians 5, this is about speech. There must be no filthiness or silly talk or coarse jesting. None of that. That's the kind of stuff you hear in high school, you know, grade school. But throughout life you hear it. You hear it on TV. You hear it from people. God doesn't want that. Next, God does, love does not seek its own. This just means you're not selfish. You're not just thinking of yourself, but you're thinking of others. You consider others as more important than yourself. This is, again, these, these are tar- hard ones. I mean, you're all with people at times, whether you live with people or work with people or whatever it is, or people here in the church, and God says, don't be selfish. Think about them. Think about what they need. This is, this is, this is love. This is what it is every day. I mean, even with Marcia, I can be selfish at times, okay? It, it, you, you get challenged, God says, don't be selfish. Love is not provoked. You don't get angered or, or upset or ir, irritated by others. And this is similar to being patient, which means you, you, you're not impatient. You, don't, you, you put up with people when they try to hurt you or they don't do things that you want them to do. Next, love does not take into account a wrong suffered. This just means you're forgiving, not holding something against someone because of what they've said or what they've done to you or how they've sinned, or whatever it might be. This is huge. Forgiveness is essential for unity, for good relationships, for growth in the church. Essential. A lot of times relationships, and of course the classic is with marriages. One of the main reasons marriages break up is because there's not forgiveness. Somebody does something wrong, the other one doesn't forgive them. This is, this is huge in relationships. You have to forgive. None of us are perfect. And that verse, I love this verse, it's in Matthew um, 18, 33. 
Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? It's the best parable there is about being forgiving. I'm not going to go through it, but it's great. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant as I had on you? If God, if Christ forgave us, shouldn't you forgive others? Yes, you should. That's the example. And God saved us. God forgave us a ton of things. And here somebody does one thing against you, you get all mad and upset. One thing. One little thing sometimes. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? Love does not rejoice in, in unrighteousness. You don't rejoice when there's evil. You don't do that. You hate evil. You hate sin. And you yourself then are righteous and holy. And you want righteousness to triumph. You want the good guys to win, okay? You want that. I want you to turn to Psalm 102. I wasn't thinking of reading this, but this is... This shows David's. This shows David's heart. Probably better than another psalm. Psalm 102. Psalm 101. 101. I'll sing of loving kindness and justice. To you, O Lord, I will sing praises. I will give heed to the blameless way. When will you come to me? I will walk within my house in the integrity of my heart. I will set no worthless thing before my eyes. I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not fasten its grip on me. A perverse heart shall depart from me. I will know no evil. Whoever secretly slanders his neighbor, him I will destroy. No one who has a haughty look and an arrogant heart will I endure. My eyes shall be upon the faithful of the land that they may dwell with me. He who walks in a blameless way is the one who ministered to me. He who practices deceit shall not dwell within my house. He who speaks falsehood shall not maintain his position before me. Every morning I will destroy all the wicked of the land so as to cut off from the city of the Lord all those who do iniquity. Pretty, pretty clear. Pretty strong, isn't it? But it's, it's right. It's what God wants us to know. Next, love rejoices with the truth. You don't love lies or errors. You love the truth. You love what is true and right. You love God's word. Um, and, and, and again, you're glad when, when, when truth triumphs. You're glad, when, you're glad when you see and hear truth in other people. You love the truth. And I tell you, you look in the world today, whether you watch some news on TV or whether you hear what's going on in the life of another person, somebody lies out there. And it, it, it grates on our souls, and rightly so. And God's got to give us grace to just rejoice in the truth, trust him, know that he will take care of the evildoers. Psalm 37 is my go-to psalm for that. I'm wondering what's going on in the world and evil. God will take care of them. Love bears all things. This means you protect others. You cover their sin. You, you don't expose it. You don't gossip about it. This is so common in the world today. Somebody does something wrong and is being talked about, whether it's at a workplace or some other relationship, you know, or whether it's in the news or the gossip pages. It's always talked about the wrongs. of You, you cover. You don't expose it. You don't do that. also means you protect others, and particularly those who are younger from harm or from bad people. So there's a, a component here where you protect everybody, but younger people are more susceptible or more vulnerable. So if you have children or, or grandchildren, you want to protect them. You want to do what you can to protect them. You don't want to expose them to bad stuff. You want to protect them. You want to shield them. You want to make sure that bad stuff stays away from them. Love believes all things. This is important. You believe the best. You trust others and their motivations. 
How many times you see somebody, they do something, ah, they, they got a bad heart. And, and right away we can, we can judge. You've got to be very, very careful. You believe the best. You're not believing or expecting the worst, and you're not a negative person. That is, you're not thinking about the bad qualities of another person. You're thinking about their good qualities. You're positive. Again, you're believing the best. This is what God wants for you. Someone is accused of doing something wrong, you consider them innocent unless they're shown to be wrong. Okay? That's what the Lord wants. Love hopes all things. This relates to people who've sinned, who failed, who aren't doing very good, and God wants you to be one then. You're expecting the best. You're believing that God's going to come through for this person. And this happens all the time, too. You all know people that aren't doing so good, that are hurting, that got problems, but you're, you're one who's hoping the best, believing the best, expecting God to come through, expecting God to bless them, expecting God then to bring that person success. So, so it's just... And these are challenging to me. But this is what God wants for a loving person. Finally, the last one, love endures all things. This is similar to hoping all things, but it relates to more extreme situations. People who are really hurting, really suffering hardship, really going through difficult things. And, and it, it's for long term. It's a long thing. So you endure. You keep going. It's not a one-day thing or a one-week thing, but it may go on for months or years. You support a person even when there's opposition, even when things may seem unbearable. And so these, these last few go together, sort of. You believe all things. You, you, you uh, bear all things. You hope all things. The point here is, is true love perseveres. It perseveres. It keeps going, even against all odds. So we're talking about loving others. And, of course, the primary way this is seen is with people that you're close to, if you have a family or a spouse or whatever, that's where you're going to really see it. That, that's the day-to-day thing, okay? But, but in all situations, it can be people at the church, people at work, people out in the street. I mean, you go, you go to buy something at the store, and you all, I assume, go to stores sometimes. Be loving to that person. They, they can tell. Be friendly. They can say that person's different, okay? So it's, it's such an opportunity that we have as people to love everyone, but it takes grace because sometimes we're just tired and life gets hard. And, and some people, they keep doing wrong things, okay? But it endures. It perseveres. It, it keeps, keeps going. So I said before, to love others, you need to be experiencing God's love in your own life. If you're having a really hard time with somebody, maybe you're not seeing and understanding the truth of 1 John 4. I'm not going to go over it again, 721, but it's very clear in there. God's love's got to abide in you. If it's not, you can't love others. You cannot. God's love. You need to have that time where you're being charged up. I think of it this way. It's like your spiritual tank needs to be filled up. Y'all been to the gas station. You've all put gas in your car. If you've got an empty tank, how far is your car going to go? No, nowhere. You're stuck. If you don't have love in your heart from God himself, you're stuck. You are stuck. Get your spiritual tank filled up with the love of God and then you won't be expecting. A, part, a lot of the problems we have probably because we're expecting that person to be, be a certain way towards us. Stop that. Stop that. You love them. Nothing the Bible about says you should expect somebody else to love you. Nothing there at all. You love them. And you get filled up with the love of God, and then you can love them. And that's then what can make a difference. Love never fails. We didn't talk about that, but that's, wait a minute, but that's true. Love never fails. That one verse then, 
1 John 4, 19, I'll repeat it. We love because God first loved us. So this is so important. Your mark in life, what you do in life, how you affect people. You know, if you come, we went to a, a memorial service last Sunday was um, uh, for Cynthia Davis. But if they have a service for you someday, wouldn't it be good if it was said, and most importantly said, he was a very loving person. She really loved people. She really loved me. That's the mark, you see. We can talk about all kinds of other things people can do, but did they love? Did they love? That's, that's where it's at. Let's talk about serving others. We know where to serve God. Luke 4, 8, read a few verses here. You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Colossians three twenty four. It's the Lord Christ whom you serve. Acts nine fourteen. Cleanse your conscience from dead works that you may serve the living God. So this has got to be in your mind. My, my purpose here, one of my primary purposes, to love people, yes, but I'm to serve people. I'm to serve God and to serve others. That, that, you know, that, that's it. Every day I'm to be serving the Lord and serving others. And you can serve God because he saved you and he loves you. He is your father and you are his child. And therefore, you want to serve him. You want to serve him because you do love him. Being humble is the key to serving God. You know that God has authority over your life, that God knows what is best for your life. You believe that, right? God knows what is best for your life. He knows what is best for your life. And therefore, then, you're to be humble before him. You're to submit yourself to him. You're to say, God, I'll do whatever you want. Tell him that. Say, God, I'll serve you in any way that you desire. Just a few examples. You know these, but... I mentioned before, Numbers 12, it says, Moses was the most humble man on the face of the earth. That time he was. To do what he did for the Lord, to lead those two million plus people through the desert up to the promised land, he was humble. The most humble man. We have that example. We have the example of, of David. Many verses, but this Psalm 25, I like this. It says, he leads the humble in justice. He teaches the humble his way. He could say that because he was humble. He teaches the humble his way. And then, of course, Jesus Philippians 2, 7 and 8. Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient unto death. He humbled himself many ways throughout life. He's, he, but, but that's the classic. That's the biggie. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death. So we have these examples. The whole Bible is filled with examples of people who are humble and then served. That's what I'm saying. And, and of course, for us as, as Christians, we've, we've got all of history. We've got the Bible. We've got all the examples we need. We have examples in the church of people people who have served and humbled. It's very encouraging here. Might we learn that? One of the main ways we serve God by serving people, by ministering to others, by helping them. And so we're to serve then both believers and unbelievers. But, but turn to, I want you to see this. This is important. Galatians chapter 6. Verse 10. So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially to those who are of the household of the faith. So you're to focus more on the believers. That doesn't mean you don't help and serve unbelievers. But So if you have a question, some going through, what should I do? I can get with this person, unbeliever, this person, believer. You might lean towards the believer. I'm not saying all the time, but this is a guide, Okay. You want to do good to all people, especially to those of the household of the faith. Galatians 5.13, through love, serve one another. 
that as a serving has to come out of our love for people. First Corinthians 9:19, though I am free from all men, I have made I have myself made myself a slave to all so that I may win the more. Acts 20, 19 and 20, we read about Paul, and it says, Paul served the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials. And the reason, one of the main reasons Paul was the kind of person he was in terms of being godly and having such a great effect, he was humble. He served the Lord with all humility. All humility. You read enough pages, I'm not going to read much more, but there's this verse in 2 Corinthians 12 about, it says, I, I spend, have spent and expended myself. He spent himself. It says in Philippians 2, 17, I pour, he said he poured himself out like a drink offering, just poured his life out. He says, wow, he gave it all. It's really, really amazing. In fact, I was, we were talking about this the other night at our men's, men's meeting, and, and it was in Acts chapter 20, and he was getting ready to go on a big trip and set sail the next day. And if you're going to go on a big trip, what do you do the night before? You get things ready, packed up, and you get some sleep, right? So here he was at this Bible study, and they went on till midnight, and then... This kid fell out the window and he healed him, and, but that wasn't really a big deal. Then he kept going till, till daybreak. I mean, golly. Then he went and traveled. I mean, that's being humble. I mean, he, he did an all-nighter right before he took off on this big trip. He was humble before the Lord. Paul wasn't serving in a cold, dry, lukewarm, or half-hearted way. Acts 20, other verses show that Paul had a great heart and a great love for people. The primary way that he was serving, was he, was, he was using his gifts, we'll talk about this in a little bit, he was using his gifts of, of preaching and teaching. He was preaching the gospel, teaching others. That's how he served. And so Paul had this great love and heart for these believers. He was working hard. He was going day and night, and he was boldly proclaiming the truth admonishing one another with tears. That's what he was doing. So remember, we're left on earth to serve God by serving others. We aren't here to do what we want, to have fun, to eat, drink, and be merry. We're not to do that. As you all know, you've heard this before, God could have taken us to heaven right when we got saved. He didn't. He left us here for others. I'm not going to read the verses, Philippians 1, 21 to 26, but it talks about that. Paul says, I'd rather be in heaven than here, but it's for your sake. It's for your sake that I stay, okay? It's like a lot of things. I think it's others. It's others. I know for me, and I've sort of shared this before, but a lot of you are close to that 60 age or older. And I know for me, I don't know for you, but when I got to that early 60 age, I thought, huh, people get 62, they retire. Or 65, or 67, or I'm 69, retire. I got three siblings older than me that's retired. I got one that's younger than me that's retired. Two are still working that are younger yet. Oh, retire. You've seen this, you know, and of course when we talk about retirement, you go on a cruise, you go on a trip, you take it easy, you put your feet up, you go traveling. You all understand this. And I'm not saying you can't retire. That's not the point. That's not the point. You can retire. But you're never to quit serving the Lord. That is, that's what I'm saying. This verse here in, in, in um, Luke 9. If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me until he's 62. You know I didn't say that. Follow me how long? To the day he dies. That's it. So whatever age you are, just think, hey, I'm here for the Lord. I'm just serving the Lord. And I understand. I mean, I, I get tired. I understand you get tired. And you have to pace yourself when you get older. That's obvious. But still, you pace yourself. 
You know, you run a little slower, but you still pace yourself and you keep serving. Oh, that's what you do. And God gives grace. Those of you who are younger will see this someday, that as you get older, you do get more tired. But God helps you to keep serving him. And so you need to realize that you're to serve God by serving others. You need to believe that God can use you and wants to use you. Very important. You need to believe this. Never think of yourself as a nobody. I can't do anything right. It's not true. Don't think that God can't use you. God can use you. He made you. This, it's just a few verses. This. God gives you his grace so you can serve others. Ephesians 3, 7 says, I was made a servant according to the gift of God's grace. Did you get it? You're to serve others. How? By the gift of God's grace, which goes on to say, which is given, given to me according to the working of God's power. So you have all the grace you need to serve the Lord. It's, it's a, another similar thought. God gives you his Holy Spirit so you can serve others. Go to Ephesians 5, 18. It talks about being filled with the Spirit. And right shortly after that, it talks about the marriage. You need the Spirit to be married, to be loving. You need God's grace. God gives you all you need. He really, really does. But how do you know how God wants you to serve? How do you know what God wants you to do? Let me just share a few things very briefly. We'll turn to Romans, Romans chapter 6. I've, I've shared this before. I don't know if you're, you're in a place for years and years. In fact, we just had our anniversary a couple weeks ago, 24 years here. So it's been good. But when you've been here for a while, you say the same things over, but that's fine. Repetition can be good. 12 and 13, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lust, and do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. So God, here I am. You give yourself to God. And I've said before, whether it's a daily thing or a weekly thing or a life thing, you present yourself to God. Turn to Romans 12, a very similar thought is expressed there. 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Again, present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice to God. So that's the first thing. Second, be humble. Remember, life is not about you, but about God and others. Third, be in a church and spend time with believers as you're as you're involved with the church family, as you're involved, as you're with others, your gift will come out. Your ability to serve will come out. It just happens. That's, that's the way it is. Next, use your spiritual gift. We've talked about this. The Holy Spirit gives you spiritual gifts. My favorite verse on that is 1 Peter 4.10. As each one has received a spiritual gift, employ it in serving one another. Each one of you as believers have received a spiritual gift, and God wants you to use it. In fact, oftentimes the way a person is seen mostly is by how he serves. Not that you're trying to be seen by your gift, but if it comes out a lot, hey, that's fine. Use your spiritual gift. Read God's Word. God's Word helps you to know how you can serve others. You go to Romans chapter um, 12, 9 through 21. Twenty-six different instructions are given there. So you say, I don't know how to serve. Well, go to Romans. Go to Romans 12. Read 9 through 21. You'll find 26 different ways. So you you can't say you don't know what to do. It's, it's, It's there. Pray. Ask God to show you how you can serve others. 
Maybe serving on the spur of a moment, that happens sometimes. Maybe some serving that's planned out. It can be either way. Use your mind. Be thinking about how you can serve others. All of you have a brain. All of you got some tissue up in your mind here to connect with your soul. Hebrews 10, 24, 5. Consider how you can encourage, how you can stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Consider, that means think. Take time to think, how can I help this person? What can I do to serve them? Next, ask questions. When you talk to people, listen to what they say. That helps you. That's a very important thing to do. You're talking to somebody. You haven't seen them for a week or two. You start talking to see what's going on in their life. You find out. Ask them. Then you'll know how to help them, pray for them, serve them. Let's finally talk now about fulfilling your purpose. This, of course, relates directly to loving and serving others, but there's more here that I want to say in the whole Bible. God's Word gives example after example of people with purpose and the work that they did, and this should be instruction. I'm just going to run through a number here real quick. Jesus' main purpose was what? Main purpose. What was it? Savior. Savior. That's it. You got it. Savior, to die for our sins. Son of Man has come to seek and save the lost. Luke chapter 19. Noah's main purpose was what? What was it? Build the ark, okay? You think of these men, build an ark to save his family, to save the world. Abraham's main purpose was what? That's it. Be the father of the Jewish nation. So we'll go, I'll just go through them here. Moses' main purpose, lead the Israelites from Egypt, out of Egypt through the desert up to the promised land. Joshua's main purpose was to command Israel's army to defeat the Canaanites, and to lead the Jews from the desert up into the promised land. You have Deborah's main purpose to help Barak defeat the enemies. Mary's main purpose was to be the mother of Jesus. Paul's main purpose was to start churches. And another one here, my opinion, was to write God's word. Very important. Paul's nephew. We all know about Paul's nephew, right? I'm not gonna, you've got to read this story. I'm not going to read it here, but it's, it's just, it's, I love it. Because here's his Paul's nephew. But I don't even know his first name. He was his nephew, and he warned Paul and saved him from the enemies. He heard that the enemy was trying to go after Paul, and he saved him. That's in Acts 23, 16 to 22. So each of you have a purpose from God, and I say that in a general way, but also a specific way. He has work that he wants you to do. This may be a small task, maybe a major task, maybe something that takes one minute, maybe something that takes your entire life. It relates to the church. Relates to your marriage, if you're married, relates to your family, relates to your children, relates to people that you know, people at work, relates to others that you might meet. And so God has a purpose for you. Ephesians 2.10, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. So God has work for you to do, work that he's already planned out, and it's good work, it says, it's good work, and it's work that you can do, okay? I, I love this truth. I love it. I get it. Okay, God, what do you want me to do today? You know, I, I love it. Don't you love this thing? God has plans for your life that should counter your plans for your life. God, you tell me what you want me to do today, and I want to do it. That's, that, that should thrill your heart. Jeremiah 29, you know this one. I know the plans I have for you, plans for welfare, not calamity, to give you a future and a hope. And so God, the work God has for us is for the good of others, and it's really for our good, too, and, of course, for the glory of God. We understand all that. And this work relates to God's plans for your life, to the future that he has for you. And what's an interest? People think about this. 
how far does this work extend? Is this work just for this life? No, it's work for all eternity. God knows exactly what he wants you to be doing 100,000 years from now, if we count years. Isn't that amazing? He got it all figured out for eternity. That, that's mind-blowing. He knows exactly what you want to do. We think of this life, that's fine. That's all our minds can sort of comp- comp- compute. That's fine. But forever and ever and ever. Acts 20, 24 says you're to finish the race. Complete the task that God has planned out for you. There's, there's two thoughts here. Finish race. You all know what a race is. A race goes so long. You know, you think about a race, you know, is it a mile race or two-mile race or what is it going to be? Is it a 100-yard day? What is it? It's a race, and you run the race. And there's an element of perseverance, okay? But there's a distance, and so too with God and us. He knows the length of our life. You don't know. He knows how long it's going to be. So I, I, I think of this this way. It's, it's like a two-mile race, okay? Remember high school, you go to track meets. Two miles. Two miles is how many times around the track? How many? Eight, eight times. Eight times. 440 times eight, okay? Go around the track eight times. So the way I might think of my life, I'm 69, I'm finishing up my seventh lap. That's where I'm at, okay? I think this way. I do. I'm starting my eighth lap, you know, end of this year. Wow. The gun lap. This is it. This is it. I mean, we should think that's how Paul thought, you know, 1 Corinthians 9 here. I'm finishing the race and completing the task. That is, God has given you specific work he wants you to do during this course of time that you're on this earth. Finish the race. Complete the task. John 17, 4, you know, the verse, I brought you glory, Jesus says, by completing the work that you gave me to do. Knowing then that you bring glory to God by completing the work. You know the verse in Matthew 25, Jesus says, Well done, good and faithful servant. That is, you've been a good servant. You've been faithful to do what I wanted you to do. And the whole example about the talents and all those things, you know, and they were faithful. The ones talked about there. And this is what God wants for us as well. What are some keys to knowing and fulfilling the purpose of the work that God wants you to do? Similar to the things about serving, but just a couple other thoughts here. Know again that your work relates to loving and serving others. It's for others. I mean, again, you can be busy at some stuff, but ultimately you're thinking, how does this relate to others? How does what I'm doing relate to the good of others, the glory of God? Next, pray. Seek the Lord. Ask him to show you in general what he wants you to do. Ask him to show specifically. It might be a particular day. You're sitting there, you're sitting there in the morning, it's 8 o'clock, he says, Lord, what do you want me to do today? Maybe you are retired. You say, okay, what, do, what should I do? He'll show you. He'll make it clear. Maybe it's the same thing you did the day before. I don't know. Maybe it's something different. Or, or you might pray, says, Lord, if, if there's something that comes up, I hear about something or some need or whatever, or you bring something to mind. So that. Third, be sensitive to God's leading. That is, be led by the Holy Spirit. And, and there's a sense here where the Holy Spirit can prompt us as individuals. The Holy Spirit's in us and can prompt us, Okay. And the prompting has got to be something that's good and aligned with the truth of God and the purposes of God. But, but that's, that can happen. I, I can't help but think all of you as believers have been prompted by the Holy Spirit to serve him in different ways. Be holy. You can't do God's work if you're not holy. 2 Timothy 2, 20, 21. Great verses. Great verses. Work hard. You work hard by the grace of God. You know, you know the example about driving a car that you really can't steer a car unless you're driving. You all know that, right? I mean, you all been in a car. You try to. You, you, you got to be moving. And so, as you're a Christian who's moving, who's working for the Lord, God can then more easily show you what He wants you to do. That's the point. 
You'll be doing what you know to do, and God will show you more things to do or to keep doing the same thing. Next, work with others. Don't be alone or be a team player. That's what the Lord wants. I got a call the other day from somebody in California. His name is Don. I want you to pray, pray about this. This, this uh, guy was reading um, uh, the article in, in, in Zion's Hope magazine that I had written, you know, about prophecy, and he, he, he you know, got my number and says, hey, says, I, I, I like to do tracks. Can we do some tracks? Can we talk about doing some prophecy tracks related to the gospel? He really is an evangelist. I mean, this guy is one that every day of the year, he's going to make sure that he shares the gospel. He's, that guy. he's just really fervent, really excited. So, so that sounds pretty good here. Let's, let's see what happens. So we're just in the talking stages now, but taking things that I've written and used it for the gospel. But pray for that. I thought that's, that, would be, that would really be exciting, working with him in that way. Persevere. Keep going even when you're tired and want to give up. Okay, all of you have had times when you want to give up. The verse in Ephesians, excuse me, Galatians 6 is so good. Do not grow weary of doing good, for in due time you will reap if you do not grow weary. Okay, so there's a whole element of of reaping and being successful and serving the Lord as you just keep going. Look to Jesus. Think about how he worked and what he went through, as it says in in, in Hebrews 12, 3, consider him who endured such suffering by sinners against himself that she will not grow weary and lose heart. Very important. And so then, here to love others, serve others, and fulfill God's purpose for your life. And these are very, very important subjects because they relate to the totality of your life. They relate to what God wants you to do, how you can please him, and how you, then you can affect the people that God puts in your life. How, how encouraging. I mean, this, I tell you, this excites me. How exciting that we can live for God, that we can serve him, that we can do the work he wants us to do. Let's close with these familiar verses First, Second Timothy 4, 7 and 8. Paul writes, I fought the good fight. I finished the course. I've kept the faith. In the future, there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for this time. Thank you so much for just your love for us. We start off, we read First John chapter 4. Lord, might we all be more and more touched, and not just touched, but transformed, Lord, by your love for us. Lord, be, might we be ones that says there. We are abiding, we are remaining in your love. It says, I've come to know and believe the love that God has for me. Might there be a real conviction in the heart of every person here of your great love for us. I, I, this is so important, Lord, just to do this and then, then help us be ones who serve you and help us be ones who then fulfill the purpose, the work you have for us. I, I pray, Lord, that the people in this church, they'd be, they'd be confident, excited of their relationship with you, knowing, Lord, that you want to use them in whatever way it is. Maybe more like Paul's nephew. Not many people notice it. That's fine. No big deal. Maybe like Paul. There's all kinds of ways to serve you, whether it's private or public, Lord, whether it's relational, who knows, whatever ways. We just thank you again for this church. Help us as a church then to be doing the work that you want us to do. Lord, pray for those who aren't feeling well, that you would help them, different ones, Lord, can't be here today, and just pray for them, that you would encourage them, give them your grace and peace, and help them. Lord, to just look to you 
and know your presence and know your love, Lord. That's so important. For all of us, that's what you want. But thank you again for this fellowship, this church here, Lord. Help us to be holy. Help us to be strong. Help us again to do all that you want. I want to do pray for also for, for Raphael and Jorge from Bethel who are going to the conference, to that Shepherd's Conference next, uh, this coming week, leading on Tuesday. That you bless their time, Lord, as there's going to be an abundance of good teaching and fellowship and worship times, Lord. And I just ask you to really minister to them and use that to affect their lives. But for all of us, Lord, I thank you again for your great love for us this time, the communion time we're going to have now, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.